And we're back here on WCDB. The art of great play-by-play -play can be traced back to a simple concept, great storytelling. And no one can exemplify that more than our next guest, legendary play-by-play -play broadcaster Vern Lundquist. His new book, Play-by-play, -play, over a 50-year broadcasting career calling the wildest games in sports, from SEC football to college basketball, the Masters, and so much more. Vern, as someone who has admired you in your career so much from afar, it is an honor to have you on the show. You're in Austin, Texas right now, so all of us here in upstate New York are quite jealous. Vern, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great, Rob. It's good to, to be talking with you. Uh, I've got not, not an intense association with Albany, but uh, I've done a few, a few events over the years in that great city. Well, what do you remember most from Albany, Vern? I've got to know. Well, it's funny. I, I just, knowing we were in a chat, I was reminiscing, and one of the more vivid, vivid memories I've got was a skating event, figure skating event, that we held there. This would have been in the mid-90s. Figure skating? I, yeah, oh yeah. Big part of my life. Uh, with the Olympics and uh, 94 and 99, uh, 90, uh, 92, 94 and 98. And we were doing an event. Uh, it was a judged event in February of whatever the year was. Uh, it would have been after Tanya and Nancy in 94. And I was flying on a plane from Chicago into Albany. And I was sitting across the aisle from Brian Boitano and Katerina Vitt. So we had a men's figure skating gold medalist and a ladies figure skating gold medalist twice. And I'm across the aisle and we're landing in a blizzard. And we, the, the guy made the, you know, excellent pilot. He made the approach and he said, I know we can get in. The minimums are okay. And then he pulled up and we went back around again. And I thought, I sure hope this ends well. <laughs> and and it obviously did. And then the next night, we were downtown getting ready to, to do the event. And this was, as so many figure skating events can be, a black tie thing. So we had to bring, and I was working with Scott Hamilton, and uh, we were at the arena getting dressed, and Scott realized he had left his tuxedo coat back at the jacket back at the hotel 
And you should have seen the scramble because he's not a big guy. A matter of fact, 5'3 and 115. So most jackets were not going to fit him. But he had, he had a, a blue sport coat back at the hotel, and we dispatched somebody driving through the snowstorm to hurry back, grab his blue coat. We'd pass it off as a tux, and they got back about 10 minutes before we had to start the show. So that was not a, a, a great memory. But I also did uh, two or three basketball tournaments there. And uh, enjoyed it every time. I really, really did. It sounds like your experiences in Albany are a roller coaster ride, Vern. Well, that's my career. (laughs) Without a doubt. That's true for almost all of us. You know, you you hope for highlights. Uh, In my case, I've had more mountaintop experiences than valley experiences, but uh, we've all had... uh, We've all had moments of setback, and you deal with that, and you put your head down, and you go on to the next day and the next event, and hope it goes better. Certainly true there, Vern. Let's go back to the book. Play-by-play, putting over a 50-year broadcasting career into words. First off, what was the motivation to write the book? Well, I started my my career in sports television began on Labor Day of 1963. So over the course of a lot of local uh, telecasts, 19 years as a matter of fact, over 16 years as the play-by-play guy for the Dallas Cowboys, and then beginning in 74, uh, what, 36, more than that, 46 years of network television, uh, a lot of stories have have, uh, erupted. And I consider myself more of a storyteller than anything else. I mean, uh, you have to get the facts right. You have to get the down, if it's football, down distance, players involved. But uh, more significantly, I I want to give the viewer or the listener uh, a reason to care about what happens uh, at the event. And you do that, in my view, by telling stories, by... uh, either negative or positive, about the individuals involved. Uh, but they suddenly have reason to care about what the final outcome will be, an interest in it. Um, and you do that, I, I think, by storytelling. So I've done that for a lot of years. And probably three years ago, uh, I was at our, our March Madness basketball seminar in New York. And that's everybody involved, production uh, front office and on the air people. We meet for three days in, in New York City, and uh, it's an agenda that includes what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, all the so. And we had a media session, uh, and after that was concluded, I found myself in a circle of five or six guys, and I found myself telling stories, and they laughed. And one of the guys said, "You know what?" Uh, you've got enough. You should you should write a book. So that was the genesis of it. And uh, the guy who's represented me since '83 had a uh, a literary arm in his business. So we put together a proposal, uh, shopped it around the various publishing houses in New York, and uh, one of the better ones, Harper Collins, uh, uh, accepted the 
proposal, and that began the relationship. And uh, it was a much, much more involved uh, procedure than I'd ever expected. Um, but we got the book finished in May, and uh, publishing date was October 16th. And so now, uh, since October the 4th, I've been pretty much on the steady uh, publicity diet. I didn't know how, what this involved, but it's been enjoyable, especially I get to talk with folks like you around the country and and uh, hopefully sell a few books. <laughs> really appreciate the kind words there. So you describe yourself as a storyteller, and you have so many stories over the course of your career. What was the biggest challenge in trying to condense all of these different memories that you have into one book? Well, it was, and uh, I'm a storyteller, but I'm not a note-taker. <laughs> now, uh, so I didn't have a journal. I, I had Nancy, my wife, uh, who's been along for most of this journey. And and we had, you know, in, in the process of doing what I do, uh, a lot of, of these events or these stories had had remained in my mind. Uh, and I just need to, needed to be jarred, mostly by Nance, but also by the editor. And uh, we had an editor in New York named Matt Harper. He was not associated with the, uh, the founders of the company, to my knowledge. But he's the guy who ultimately decided what went in and what went out. And uh, it was a, that was a bit of a challenge, because and, and now in, in the process of of doing these kind of conversations, something will trigger something else. And Matt even said to me, uh, if this thing goes well, if it sells well, do you have enough for another book? And I said, yeah, I do. And so I'm even making notes now. I've learned that much uh, in hopes that we come back and do a second one. The book is play-by-play. Vern Lundquist with us here on WCDB calling the wildest games in sports in bookstores now. Vern, the 50-year career, everything from SEC football, the Masters, the NCAA tournament. If I were to ask you what your favorite broadcasting moment of your career was, what do you think you would say? Well, I get, uh, just because I've been so fortunate, uh, Rob, over the years to have had a number of moments that resonate with people, uh, I've kind of ranked them. Not, not really. I mean, I don't have a written list to say one, two, three, four, five. But I do get asked the question, where would you put thus and such? And, uh, and, and they cover the gamut. I mean, I mentioned figure skating, and I was right in the middle of Tanya and Nancy in 94. But my default position has always been and still is uh, 1986 when at the Masters when I was lucky enough to be at the 17th hole. Uh, and Jack Nicklaus, at the age of 46, against all odds, uh, stood over a ball at the 17th on the green, uh, tied with Seve Ballesteros for the lead. And so, if he made the putt, and it was not a it was not a straightforward uh, attempt at all, had a little d- double breaker. But I was very conscious of the fact that if he made it, he was going to have the lead uh, with one hole to play and two guys chasing him. Uh, and he made it and took the lead. And I was pretty simple in my uh, response. I just said, maybe. And then when the ball dropped in, I, I with considerably more emotion than I'm showing right now, 
I said, yes, sir. And uh, the wonderful thing about my memory of that is that it was Jack. Uh, and I helped, I'm told, and I believe this, to enhance people's memory of that occasion. And um, he paid me the, the greatest compliment, I think, among the greatest I've ever had. On uh, my final year uh, doing the SEC uh, two years ago, uh, my last game at Georgia was Tennessee at Georgia, and I spent all last week in Georgia doing this sort of thing, uh, making speeches and book signings. Uh, and and when I did my last game in Georgia, uh, a dear friend of mine named Lauren Smith at the university had arranged for video uh, statements on the on the scoreboard, and the last one of the guys who spoke was Jack, and. Uh, he said on the video, well, in 86, I made the putt, and he made the call. So we're going to be joined at the hip as long as they play golf. And when I heard him say that, uh, it took my breath away. And then the band, at the request of my friend Lauren, and the band um, director, a guy named Mike Robinson, uh, they arranged to go end zone to end zone. I was told looked down on the field, and they had spelled out, uh, yes, sir. And then the public address announcer said, uh, okay, let's give him a send-off. And I had 93,000 people look up at our broadcast booth and in unison yell, yes, sir. All of those reasons make that a memory that I'll treasure for the rest of my days. Vern, I don't think many people are going to argue with you there. But it begs the follow-up question. If the Jack Nicholas shot is number one, then where does Tiger at the 2005 Masters rank? Is it 1A for you? Yes, that's, that's exactly where I put it. 1A, uh, because it was Tiger. Uh, and, and, keep, and, and I know this to be true. The first guy was Jack, the second was Tiger. And uh, without demeaning uh, Chris DeMarco, his fellow competitor that Sunday, if Chris DeMarco had made that chip shot, uh, we would talk. Of, we would be. We we would have remembered it, but it, it wasn't Chris who made it. It was Tiger Woods, and it's part of his legacy. And because I made the right judgment of what I said, and honest to God, Rob, all I was doing uh, was reacting to what I saw in front of me and reacting. Uh, as if I were someone watching uh, in the sports bar or in his, his or her living room by saying, in your life, have you ever seen it? Well, I never had, and I expected the most most uh, folks hadn't. So, uh, But the, because of the consequence of the men involved, uh, that makes those two events so much more memorable. And... Uh, and then number three for me is a very close of, I'd even make it 1B, it was the end of the Iron Bowl in 2013 when you've got a missed field goal from 57 yards out, returned 109 yards for a touchdown, and Auburn beats Alabama. Uh, so for, for foundational blocks, those are pretty good three. Now that's a hard three to beat, it really is. Running out of time here, really do appreciate it. I feel like we could talk to you for hours, but uh, before we let you go, for a young broadcaster, 
who looks up to you so much and everything that you've accomplished in your career, what advice would you give them? Well, uh, uh, I've got two, two things I would say. Never turn anything down. You'll learn something from it. Uh, and I use as an example something in my own life. Uh, I, I had a dear friend who, who gave me that advice. He was a, a colleague and a mentor. His name was Frank Lieber. And Frank died in 85 at the age of 51. And he had done the 17th hole for CBS at Augusta from 68 to 85. And he's the one who said to me once, if they ask you to do it, uh, learn the rules, learn the jargon, watch all the videotape you can, and then go about it aggressively, but don't say no. So that's number one. And I understand that you've got to be given the opportunity first. But if you are given that, accept it joyfully, learn as much as you can, and then approach it in a very positive way. The other thing, uh, and not enough of us, and I include myself in this, is uh, we don't follow this uh, rule often enough. Be brief. Uh, and, and the best uh, announcer at keeping it simple ever, in my view, was a fellow that young people wouldn't know now, but his name was Ray Scott. Uh, he was a legend in the 60s as the voice of the Green Bay Packers for CBS. And this is when Lombardi was there and uh, Bart Starr was uh, the quarterback and they beat the Cowboys in the Ice Bowl on a daring play. And and here's a typical Bart. Boyd Dowler was a great uh, wide receiver for that team. And here's a typical Ray Scott description of Green Bay touchdown. Star, Dowler, touchdown. Uh, you can see what was going on in the field, so he ID'd the players. We all need to do more of that. Vern, thank you so much for the time. The new book, play-by-play, calling the wildest games in sports in bookstores now. Vern, this was fun. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Great pleasure. Good luck to you. Thank you, Vern.